It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your vote. 2022. The Races. Special coverage on Inside Sources. We are continuing our special coverage. We're broadcasting live from Bluffdale City Hall, just outside the polling location, as we monitor uh, people coming in to cast their vote on Big Election Day 2022. And you can stay with us uh, through the afternoon on KSL News Radio. And then beginning at 6 p.m. tonight, we'll pick up our special coverage uh, anchored with Jeff Kaplan. We'll have Mara uh, Carabello from Exoro Group, and uh, yours truly will be in the chairs uh, to navigate your election night as the results begin to come in. So stay with KSL News Radio throughout the day today uh, for the best coverage you're going to get on election 2022. Uh, We're going to look internationally for a moment now uh, because uh, the world does not stop on election day. Uh, The international pieces continue to uh, be very uncertain and very trying and uh, really pleased to have joining us on the program today, Ishan Thoreau, who's a columnist on the foreign desk of the Washington Post. He also authors the Today's Worldview newsletter and column. And uh, Ishan, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. So as we look at uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, of course, there's been a, a lot of flap going back and forth. You had uh, some pro- House progressives uh put a letter to President Biden saying, let's start negotiations, and they got a lot of backlash and reframed it and then re- withdrew it. Uh, you had some r- rumblings over the weekend in terms of calls for some negotiations to happen. Um, and then even uh, President Zelensky uh, has been uh, making some interesting overtures. So from your perspective, your reporting, Ishan, what uh, are we seeing? What's the lay of the land? Yeah, let's let's zoom out and look at the situation as we have it, right? So the, yes. the war in Ukraine uh, is is going on. It's it's uh, bogged down on certain fronts in the south and east of Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainian military is putting up a real fight and and intent on taking back uh, territory that Russia claimed over the last year. Uh, at the same time, there's also a recognition that without a pretty significant outlay of funding from the U.S. and its allies without uh, a kind of constant flow of weapons and military aid to Ukraine, the Ukrainians really would not be able to do this. So there is a recognition politically that um, this war is only going to go on as long as the West uh, bankrolls it. And that that is something that... Um, is clearly felt politically in some parts of, of the West. Mm. You have Republican, uh, potential Republican uh, uh, officials coming to, to office who have explicitly said they, they, they want to cut off some of this funding. Uh, you have uh, far-right parties in other parts of Europe uh, saying that, you know, we should really reevaluate this. And then at the same time, as you suggested, you know, it does not, shouldn't really be a partisan thing. There is a growing, evolving debate around uh, the need for some kind of political way out of this mess because it's hurting the global economy. It's it's uh, you know causing all sorts of havoc in global food markets in poorer parts of the world. There's all these sorts of chaotic downstream effects that nobody wants to put up with anymore. Now you can turn around and say, what about Russia? Russia is one, of course, that that launched this invasion. 
And indeed, I think that's what, as we heard from uh, President Zelensky today, uh, the onus is, and I think politically, people want to make sure that the onus is not on, say, the U.S. or Ukraine to come to the table. The onus should be on the Russians right. to, to recognize their faults in this. And that's, that's also a part of the conversation. Yeah, and all of those, uh, that, that that is so well articulated and uh, so important for us to keep all of that in perspective. So let's let's start to zoom in on a few of those uh, pieces. Mm-hmm. You mentioned one that uh, we've been hitting a lot over the last week, and that is the, the impact on the food markets and what that could do for uh, for Europe, what it could obviously do in terms of impact on Africa uh, and other mm-hmm. places. Uh, how do you see that playing out? Well, it's been really, and I don't think people in this country appreciate the extent to which a war in Ukraine uh, has, you know, changed the lives of millions in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Especially when you look at East, in East Africa, there's right now a kind of epic, unprecedented drought happening, where uh, uh, you see now a country like Somalia is probably on the verge of famine. And part of that famine, part of the reason for that famine, and there are quite a few reasons for it, but one of those reasons is that uh, uh, the the absence of imported wheat from Ukraine and Russia because of this war has uh, really depleted their capacity to feed their people. And, um, you know, East Africa imports 90% of its wheat from uh, Ukraine and Russia. And so, so there's been a lot of focus on attempts to unlock uh, the Black Sea grain trade. Uh, and that briefly happened, but that's been also disturbed again by the Russians. Uh, and so that, that's created a huge crisis. And the fact that, you know, if you're a poor villager facing drought in Somalia, the fact that <laughs> this is war far away is completely upending your life. And maybe the difference between being able to feed your own child, it's a really staggering reality and a staggering reflection of the, the interconnectedness of our world. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that interconnectedness that we've been covering everything from, uh, you know, from the, the, the wheat and the grains uh, to the, the fertilizer uh, that uh, yeah, you know, the nobody's thinking about that. Yeah. But that's all part of all mm-hmm. part of that interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Russia is a major exporter, a global exporter of fertilizer and sanctions have limited those exports. And uh, so you're seeing uh, and then this has also uh, led to numerous leaders in the developing world, and especially in Africa and Asia saying, look, you, know, you guys have your political disagreements, you have uh, your historical beefs with each other, Europe has a very sensitive uh, it has a very sort of emotional reaction to what's happening in Ukraine, but for much of the rest of the world, uh, we, we're living this in incredibly stark terms, and, yeah. and it, we have nothing to do with this. 
Yeah, uh, so fascinating. And uh, I want to get to some of the uh, reality components, obviously, with uh, with President Zelensky saying today, uh, yeah, we, we're open to, to that negotiation uh, as long as it's on our terms. Uh, and so I thought mm-hmm. that was a significant way for him to frame that. And I know historically uh, in Europe, uh, particularly with Russia, when uh, when you're having these kinds of conflicts, usually you kind of get to keep what you have when you get to the negotiating table. Uh, but this time seems to feel a little different to me in terms of uh, Ukraine's willingness to say, OK, fine, you can you can keep some pieces. I mean, we're not even close to talking about the actual approach to the negotiating table right now. What we're seeing is kind of posturing about the posturing that will need to happen to get us to negotiation. So, I mean, if that makes sense, we're, we're quite a few steps away. I think there is a recognition and you see this on the part of the Biden administration. Uh, there's a recognition that, and I know, and this is true for most of Ukraine's Western allies, all of them, is that Ukraine should not be the one. Ukraine is the, the, the you know, is a blameless party in this conflict. They were invaded. Right. They should be able to call the shots and set the terms for their future negotiations uh, and, and what it takes for, uh, to end this war. Uh, at the same time, we should also recognize that there has been no genuine indication from Russia that they are actually interested in diplomacy. Right. So there is this kind of uh, partisan conversation happening in the West where people are saying, oh, why are we fueling this war in Ukraine? We should press for diplomacy. We don't really know, and we don't know, we have no evidence to show that there is a good faith diplomatic uh, possibility from the other side in mm. Russia. So, so I think that's where a lot of people say this conversation is premature, yeah. where the Biden administration turns around and says, okay, you know, they, we, my colleagues reported this weekend that uh, the U.S. has privately uh, urged the Ukrainians to be a bit more open-minded about negotiations. Right now, the Ukrainian stance was, uh, before this week, was that we, we, we are not, we are forswearing dialogue with Russia because of all the atrocities the Russians are carrying out on our soil. Um, the U.S. has privately told the Ukrainians that, look, uh, we are with you, we are supporting you, but you need to be a bit more open-minded and in your public declarations just so we can keep other governments and other countries on your side as well. Uh, and that so, is a complicated international dance that they're figuring out. Also. Yes, yes, it is. And uh, and it just shows uh, so often our uh, American presidents of either political party, uh, they want to focus on, domest- focus on domestic, domestic, domestic. Uh, but this international is always complex. And uh, as you rightly pointed out, Ishan, so vast, so incredibly uh, interconnected. Uh, Ishan Theror is a columnist on the Foreign Desk of the Washington Post. Uh, he authors the Today's Worldview newsletter and column. Uh, Ishan, thanks for your great perspective. We look forward to having you back to continue this conversation. My pleasure. Anytime, and good luck with your coverage tonight. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, Ishan Theror from uh, the Washington Post. Great insight on uh, what's happening there in Ukraine, the impacts of all of that, and uh, what that looks like moving forward, uh, regardless of who wins elections tonight. All right, we'll go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. We're broadcasting live from Bluffdale City Hall, just outside the polling location on Election Day 2022. When we come back, some more of the candidates for office will make their closing arguments to you. Coming up next, stick around. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. 
they said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.